Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, the quarantine editions. Um, today, we are joined by... <laughs> First of all, I feel like you're in character right now. I cannot get past <laughs> this hat. I just love the readiness hey. and availability of it. <laughs> you know, listen, hey, man, listen, we're in quarantine. We're on lockdown. So it's like, I got to go out and walk the dog every day at least. So you caught me in the dog park in my quiet place, like I said. Chill. Yes. So this is how we do it. This is about as real as it can get. And I, I love it. Everybody know, the, as real as it can get is my favorite song. <laughs> I that's know, that's right. That's my favorite jam. Uh, so <laughs> if you haven't noticed, we have Blair Underwood joining us today. And uh, I just met Blair, and I say met in quotes because it was while we were recording Shooting the Real from Home. Uh, so we didn't meet in person. But when you right. were on the show, you know, we asked you a bunch of different questions, of course. And one of one of the stories that came up was you were speaking about just a... You, a, a a role that you had been offered uh, or that you were auditioning for, was it, was you offered or did, well, whatever the case, because you're offer only at this point, let me no, just say. <laughs> that particular one. <laughs> that particular role, they were like, we need a fine black man on Sex in the City. Who wow. can we call? Uh, so they called Blair, but apparently you were like, nah, like this isn't the type. Uh, I don't appreciate, I don't like this way this role is written. And so I I, I banked that in my, in my little head right here. And I was like, I would love to do an interview or an episode with Blair about side effects of being a black man in Hollywood, because it is such a unique experience um, and nuanced. And we had had Cree Summer on when we started the show two years ago and she spoke to being a black woman in Hollywood. uh, But we haven't, gotten to see the brother side of things and you are just you're an icon like i told you off camera so i'm telling you on now you are icon you know you've done such an incredible body of work that i felt like you're the right person to have this combo you ain't you ain't a new jack you know nah, just nah, coming nah, in nah. definitely not a new jack you ain't but no listen, whippersnapper man, nah 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 but listen i appreciate that i appreciate that and i'm a fan of yours i've seen some of your, some of your smart funny and black and just seeing you you know, I saw you, it was like a couple weeks ago, you had a whole routine you did about this runaway slave girl on the back of your head. <laughs> you remember that? You had, you, had a, you had a light slave girl. I said, this girl is hilarious to me. Thank you. But what I appreciate about you is you're funny, you're intellectual, highly educated, highly insightful about your people, about your culture, but just woke in all the best ways about it. Funny and beautiful on top of that. So I, I end with the beautiful. <laughs> because all that intellect comes first, but you just got, you know, it's working on all levels. So I, I appreciate that. I'm a fan of yours. So I appreciate having this time to chop it up with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I do feel honored that we get to invade your quiet time because I know, oh, yeah. I'll you. you know, this quarantine is weird because look at all the dogs. Look at all the dogs. Hi. It is dog park. I want a dog so bad. Oh, you got to do Are you a dog lover? I'm an animal lover. Okay. So it's I like I can't say I'm an animal. I'm definitely a dog lover. I can't say I'm an animal lover. Cats I love and I don't all. get along. I hear you. That's not true. You, you just say that's not true. Uh, maybe I haven't met the right one. I haven't I met the really right cat. I feel that way. You know what it is, and it's you know what you got to come into the cat space with a different, a certain kind of heart. Ooh, Amanda. Because. Listen. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, because cats choose you. 
Okay, I never heard that. Yeah, like cats are, cats are very similar to strong, independent women. Like they do not require per se, um, they don't just show up like, oh my God, I'm just happy. I got a man, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) they require a certain level of like patience and perseverance and understanding. And they don't listen though. They don't listen though. Dogs will listen, sit, come, run. Cats yeah, but then you have to go. question why you need dominance. Oh, ooh, okay. Yeah, you might have something there. <laughs> might have something. I mean, I just want to be able to lock the doors at night. Or just when I want my way to feed you, can you come here and eat your food? But okay, I yeah, I'll See, take cats all that are, into consideration. He's like, dang, I gotta because I mean, that's the thing. Cats are very, but but when a cat knows you. They respect you. So, like, my cat, like, Lando, you will see his ears. He hears you calling him. He's just like, I'll get to you when I get to you. And I'm like, you know what? You're a free spirit. And I'm a free spirit. So, I I respect that. Um, I'll get to you when I get to you? Yeah. I mean, now, see, if I have to have a listen, if I I need to have a conversation, we need to have a conversation. I can't be like, I'll get to you when I get to you. Yeah, but that's a human. I'm talking about a cat. That's a human. I'm saying. So you got me thinking about is the control? Because as a human, okay, but listen to this. Maybe it's not I get you and I get you, but it's like I'm I'm involved in something right now. Can we talk about this later? Like I know dudes who it's like that's not an option. You know, like you don't get to be busy. Right, oh, like oh, I've, I've met, th- I've I've met that before. Like, why yeah. aren't you available to me? I, I, I'm here. Uh, nah, I'm nah, a busy man. Busy. My homegirl. Why are you name, a busy woman? Right. My homegirl is literally going to name her special. I'm a busy man because she she had talked to somebody who literally was like, I'm a busy man. I'm a busy man. You should be available for me at all times. You know, okay, and she's no, that's, like, that's, that's that's out of order. Exactly. So that being said, I um. <laughs> I really feel like there's there's something special about cats in that they have their own independence, but when they love you, you know that you earned it. Okay. And so the payoff is more. And I think a lot of people think that like, oh, I don't need to pay attention to a cat. They'll just do what they want. And so they don't socialize the cat. So you may have met cats that people haven't socialized. People really like give all their energy to dogs, but then they don't Absolutely. give it to cats, but if you actually are a cat person, you know that like you gotta cuddle with a cat and give a cat all kind of love and they will be the best friend. See, that's what I'm talking about. Intellect. I've I've been educated this morning. I had no yeah. idea. I wasn't knowing. <laughs> I wasn't but I would, knowing. <laughs> but but I would tell you, I've never listen, I've never been down with domestic cats, but but the big cats, when I was a kid, I was gonna be the lion king. In my mind, I was gonna be the lion king. We had, when we were kids, we had, well, Kimba the White Lion was a cartoon we had. And we had yes. a show called Doc Tari. Doc Tari was all about a, a, an African doctor. I think it was like the seven, late 70s, something like that. And I knew, and you know, they had this, the, the credits would come, the show would come on. This woman was like riding around on the back of a lion, like a full male lion. That's, that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, I never became the lion, the, the lion king or tiger king, but uh, here we are. But here we are. Here we, here are. we are. But you did become an entire... Uh, like I said, you've been in this game for a long time. And I think, I think I first just wanted to ask, like, what is it that has kept you in Hollywood? Because there's one, because, you know, you've done all the interviews of like, what got you started as an actor and blah, 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 blah. What kept you as an actor? 
Because I know for me, I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> no, listen, it's it's a great question because I don't I didn't have any other option because I love the work. I love the craft. I love the ability to tell a story. I love the ability to become a different character and become different people and to explore that. So there's part of that. And maybe some of this, as you alluded to, maybe it's some control issues because I didn't like the idea of somebody telling me I couldn't do something. You're not going to control me. You're not going to tell me you can't tell your story. And you can't tell me you can't tell your story in the way in which you want to tell it, in the way it needs to be told. You can only tell it through our prism, which was, you know, when I got into business in the 80s, was most often it was a... We weren't the ones making the calls. We weren't the ones writing the scripts that at least could be greenlit. We were writing scripts. We've always been telling stories. Yeah. But they were not the ones often that were being greenlit. We live in a different age now, which is a beautiful thing, primarily because of streaming. Uh, Hulu, Netflix, uh, you know, Amazon, all of those. They all need content. They all need content. So that we have a chance to tell more stories and there are platforms for it. Uh, so that's, that's an exciting thing. So w- what kept me initially was I got to tell these stories. I got to tell in the way I see uh, I want to be able to tell it and to be able to hire other people and start producing things and just and, and, and give other people a, a platform to tell their story. Now, now it's just more of a chance to do it. And I'm inspired by people like you and your generation and coming up. And I mean, you got your show, you got the real, you got your podcast, you got your, your, your smart, funny and black. And I mean, you're doing it. You're doing it. What did I see? I saw when you were on um, uh, Charlemagne the God, you know, and you were telling oh, you were doing the, the whole club. history on the, on the oh. Breakfast Club. Yeah. You're talking with your mother, which was hilarious. I got to meet your mother one of these days, by the way. Um, she here, acting like the pandemic she, ain't it, happening. Please, please give her my best. Please give her my best. But just the way, the way in which you, you know, you grind. And when I got it, when I got in the game, this was, you know, '85. I mean, let me think about it. Do, do the math. My first movie was Crush Crew that came out in '85. Of course. And at that point, it was all about for an actor. It was all about get an agent, let them, let them uh, manage your career. Let your agent do everything. Let them do the hard work. Mm. Now, now your generation and the younger generation, even they're like, nah, we can do this for ourselves. We got the tools, we got the technology, we got the talent, and we can make it happen. Uh, so when I was coming up, Spike Lee was like the first one I saw. Wait a minute, he's doing his own thing and thinking outside the box. He's writing, directing, producing, doing his thing. So all of that inspired me. Getting back to your question, basically, to say mm. number one, there's a there's a place for me in this business, and there's a when I watched. Spike Lee to kind of do his thing. I said, there's a way to do it where I don't have to just be an actor. I can direct and I can produce and I can find other ways to tell stories. And now I'm buoyed by, I keep saying this, it's true, I'm buoyed by the younger generation seeing the way y'all are just grinding and finding different ways to, to make it happen. Do you think, like I know you were talking about how things are different now because there's so much more content. I mean, I think I'm I'm a bit of a cynic sometimes with that because I grew up on so much of it, it just felt like there was so much of a greater influx of stuff in the 90s. Um, but, mm. but I think maybe that's because it was more uh, centralized because it was just networks. Like you didn't have, right. you know, all of this spread apart. And so sometimes you can feel like you're not really seeing as much as you did before. So that was, that was, that it just seemed like in the 80s and 90s, there was such an influx. I felt like overwhelmed with the amount of content of blackness that I grew yeah. up in. Do you no, feel think, like, go ahead. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. It was, it was concentrated. As you said, we had three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, then Fox came along a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, before cable for HBO and Showtime. So when we got it, we got it strong and everybody was focused on, you know, what I think about the best man. I mean, so many, so many came along along the boys. Malcolm. Malcolm, come on, come on. 
all of that. And we and we wanted to see it. We wanted to talk about it. It was part of our community and it, it was our fuel. Now, you know, the, the flip side, what would you say, the downside, what would you call this, this segment, the downside or the flip side of being <laughs> no, a black man? I mean- <laughs> uh, no, I say uh, side effects. The side, side effects, effects side of effect. being a black man in Hollywood. Right. The, si- the side effects with what's happening now is because there's so much content, there is more opportunity for for work, but it's harder to be noticed. It's harder to be acknowledged. It's harder to be mm. seen, to even know what's out there. But not all this great stuff. It's, it's a lot of content, a lot of stuff you may not even want to watch. So, like, you know, you know, there's a lot of us who have seen, of course, Hollywood Shuffle, you know, it, it, like, he was Robert Townsend was speaking Robert to Townsend. the fact, yeah. you know, was, was speaking to the fact that stereotypes had become basically the norm for being a black man in Hollywood. So when you came in, I mean, Crush Groove, I feel like you weren't playing a stereotypical role, you know, like right. because right. the content itself was being created by folks that had a, a different lens for blackness. But outside of that, how has this path been with you? bobbing and weaving between, you know, getting caught in a stereotype or have you ever felt like you didn't realize it and then you were in a role and you were like, God damn it, they got us again. <laughs> uh, not, not so much that because, you know, I think when I was when I was coming up, they uh, when I did L.A. Law, where I played a lawyer for seven years, I was 21. My daughter's 21 right now. I'm like, man, okay. But what happened Crush Group came first. I did One Life to Live for like three months. But then when L.A. Law happened at 21, it helped me bridge that gap between a child, a, a young teenage actor, really, mm-hmm. and an adult. Because when L.A. Law was over, I was 20, 26, 27, 28. Yeah. Um, so I think I missed a lot of those things early on. I mean, when I did One Life to Live right after Crush Group, I played a character named Bobby Blue, who was from the other side of the tracks. And they tried to make him stereotypical. They really did. And I was like, so I'll, I'll put things in there if I could. I mean, I was just, I was just starting. So I couldn't get away with a whole lot. But I said, well, let me ask you this. Cause he's supposed to be this, you know, the whole thing was he was from the other side of the tracks. And my girlfriend was seeing this guy, uh, Guy Davis, actually, uh, Ozzy Davis and Ruby D's son. And he was like the doctor. I used to upstanding. tutor their grandson. For real? Oh man. Mm-hmm. And he was the upstanding brother. That's incredible. The upstanding brother from the right side of the tracks. And I was Bobby Blues. Like, you know, you don't mess with that kind of brother. But I would, right. I'd, I'd put things in there like, well, maybe if I'm like waiting for her because she was a doctor at the hospital, I can be reading the newspaper just to show this brother's, you know, intelligent and curious about his, his, the world and around, around him. So I would sneak things in there when I could for those roles. But but it was pretty quick. I mean, I was a year and a half into in the business when L.A. Law happened for me. And then playing that lawyer kind of established a lot of the roles that came out. Well, two questions in response to that. So first I asked, like, where did that consciousness come from to mm. feel like you even needed to make those nuanced changes? Because there's a lot of brothers who come in this shit and are just like, I'm just going to coon it up. This is fine. Um, or, you know, as long as I'm working, I, you know, I'm not trying to upset the apple cart. And I'm nah. not, even, you know, but what was it? What do you think really had you coming in here like, mm, let me nah, see I where I can consciousness same thing you have that's why i respect your game knowing where you came from knowing where you want to go not just here for a moment and taking scraps taking what they throw at you creating your own opportunity uh my father is uh was a full bird colonel <laughs> my kids were asking me last night uh like what's how, how the ranks were going to go see my nephew mm-hmm. down in san, san diego and he's he's in the navy and i was a sentinel he was a full bird colonel which is the next level under general general is the next step you know mm-hmm. to be a, a colonel at the full bird colonel 
in the 60s and 70s, you know, he retired in the, in the 80s, was highly unusual. So that's the home I came out of, you know, where there was a, a great sense of responsibility and understanding um, and awareness of who you are because he was a black man in the military in the 60s and 70s. It was it was thrust upon us to be aware when you walk out this door, you represent your race, your father, his rank, and the United right. States of America. That's a whole lot for a young black boy to be uh, yeah. thinking about it on his shoulders. But we came out of that sense of it's not just about you. You represent so many people and and, and values and history that came before you. So there is that, but also I'm, I I like to consider myself a, a student of history. I love history. I love our history, especially. So, and, and specifically into this world I wanted to go into, which was Hollywood and acting. A student of Hollywood history and Black Hollywood history. So, uh, the actor that I, that has inspired me to become an actor and I aspire to be like, in my own way, was Sidney Poitier. I knew it. I knew Sidney was coming. You know? I, knew, oh, I knew he was coming. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, you talk about that sense of integrity, that sense of dignity, that sense of pride of self and culture that's what i saw as a kid and, and i said i want to i want to i want to kind of focus on that kind of actor and that kind of career you know no one i'll, I'll find my own way and it's not gonna you don't want to copy anybody but just you know kind of let's that was a career that i gravitated toward that that i got excited about so a year and a half in the game you were cracking, but but that's not normal. You know no, that, right? I do know that. Yeah. So what do you think? I do know that. What do you, well, first of all, how do you know that? Like, what do you feel like? Because you said it twice. Anytime someone oh, says man. something the second time, it's because they had a thought that reminded them. Nah, nah it's just because it's what I heard coming in the game more than anything. You know, I started doing theater in, in, in Petersburg, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. And when I was in high school, I was doing local junior theaters in high school, and I would talk to the older people the ones who had been in this game for a minute. And every single one of them said, yeah, you know, if that's your love, go for it, kid, go for it, kid. But it's hard. And I can't, I cannot tell you how many times I heard this message from many different people lovingly, but would say, listen, you know, most people don't make it. So you probably won't make it. And chances are you're black too. This is from my white friends, but even black friends in different ways. It's going to be even harder for a black actor. And I remember hearing this statistic, which was true then and true to this day that only 3%, if that, make a living in this game as an actor. Those are the statistics from our union, SAG, Screen Actors Guild, SAG after now. Only 3% make a living at this, can support themselves. So I remember hearing that then, and I remember I, the reason that it, it resonates with me when you say that is the reason I was so aware of it was because I was told so often that it, what you're doing is very difficult. And they, they weren't, I didn't really have people discourage me. My parents definitely didn't discourage me. They encouraged me. Uh, so I didn't have that discouragement. But it came from a loving place. We said, just be aware of what you're walking into. And that's that's the thing. And going back to your, your initial question, why, what kept me, is because it was it's nobody else's call. I really believe it's a faith call. And I believe yeah. that, that God had the final call. And that's, that's, that's me. So it doesn't matter what, you, what y'all say. It doesn't matter what a studio executive or a manager or an agent says or thinks at any given time. This is this is my path, and this is what I see. I believe this is where God put me, and this is my purpose, to go down this path. What comes from that is not just about the acting, not just professional. We talk about acting, directing, and producing, but I think it's even bigger than that, how you can inspire people, how you can be an example to people, how you can encourage people, 
and careers, other employment stuff. You know, and the things we do when we tell our stories. I keep going back to smart, 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 funny, black. I see it behind you. But when you make people laugh, you make people laugh in your kind of comedy. And I know and Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, I love this intelligent comedy. So you make people laugh, but you also make them think. All of that, that's a noble thing. Especially in times like now, when you can, when you can, when you can get people to release and have escapism to get a, get their mind off whatever we're dealing with right now. That's a beautiful thing. So I always, I just, I just felt, I always felt from the beginning that it was more than just me wanting to act and take a job. It's bigger than that. I just felt that. Do you feel like your peers saw that the same way? Some of them, yeah. Some, <laughs> some, not all. Right. I just say and that, that and because I'm I, not even I, mad at that. You know, okay. Because we all we all come to this this game for different reasons. I mean, I mean, one of the things that that irritates me because I love what we do as 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 crafts men and women as as actors and as artists, and I do think of it as that. I don't take myself that serious, but I take what I do seriously. When people just say, I want to try that acting thing, or because, you know, people can't, because they can easily access it nowadays, uh, sometimes I have a, um, a certain amount of respect for the work and the craft. So, you know, I know we all come from it with, for different intentions and different reasons and different agendas. And sometimes it's just to pay the bills and make some money, because you can. You look good or you're, you know, you're a good actor, and, you know, so be it if it works. I just, I just had a different, different path. And journey. No, I um, I really feel like it's very, it's very. When I look at my role in like this Hollywood thing, I know that my turning point came when I was in an audition, and I was playing a role. I knew the role was racist, like the way that they had crafted it and everything. But I still needed to go to the audition, right? Like, that was the thing. Like, it was like, ah, still, but I'd never met this casting director and I still need, you know? And it was like, how do I make this make sense for me while not making it okay for them? Um, it's a great way have to you it. run into those, like, do you have any of those situations? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Been... Yeah, oh, man, all the time. You, you, um... Was it Andre? I don't know if this is Andre Harrell. God bless his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot who said this, but they, it was very simply put. Those who you allow to define you will confine you. Mm-hmm. If you allow people to tell you how to look and be, that'll confine you and constrict you. Your former moniker was Diva. You don't really you know too. my work. I do. I'm serious. I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> And I heard on The Breakfast Club you were talking about that and how you made that transition. I, I got to change that because by calling yourself Diva, I think there's a woman on the train or something or a subway that says something to you. Um, you realize somewhere along the way that that's a different, the projection of what they think, their idea of what that means can constrict you in a certain way. Yeah. As I heard you say it. So mm-hmm. by the same token, I just always felt that you, you don't allow people to define you. Uhura, Uhura, Star Trek. Yeah. First interracial kiss. Yep. With Captain Kirk. Yep. When I was doing LA Law, I had an interracial relationship. I did one like for a couple of episodes. Then like, the next season was uh, uh, Cecil Hoffman was my love interest for the entire season. 
blonde hair, green eyes. And, and it was at that time, this was in the 80s, it was a big deal. It was very noteworthy. A lot of interviews, a lot of articles came out. It was an interracial relationship, a relationship, not just a kiss. Ellen right. Long broke a lot of barriers. That was the first lesbian kiss. And, you know, broke a lot of barriers at that time. But since then, along the way, I've had that conversation. Um, the conversation I had with L.A. Law, I'm sorry, with uh, Sex in the City, about yeah. not just being the black guy, but let this man be a man you, who happens to be black. What do you consider that to be? Like, what is it that makes you look at a script and be like, oh, they're making him just the black guy? Well, like, what are they missing the or what are they putting in there? That Sex in the City situation like we talked about, that was specifically about Ken Cottrell's character looking at my character and wanting to know about the curiosity of his, his blackness, the, the size of his anatomy. You know, what, what is, is that? Is that, are those myths real? So that's usually what it is. Oh, um, wow. oh yeah, that's what that storyline was about. And I said, I, I'd rather not do that. And then when I came back this, this, the next time, I asked that question and it was specifically about, no, we don't want to, we're not going to even deal with race. It's just a guy that she's attracted to and they have a relationship. I said, okay. cool, now, now, we can, now we can talk. Um, but Dirty Sexy Money was an interracial relationship. Julia Roberts uh, in the movie Full Frontal was an interracial relationship. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, interracial relationship. Every time that has happened in my career, I sit down with them and say, you have to let this man be a man. If, if, you're, if you're writing this, this situation and casting me to play opposite this actress who is white to deal with the interracial dynamic, um, I'd rather take that off the table unless we can deal with it in depth. You know, like dedicate an episode or a few to that. But if it's just about, you know, you want to just kind of, you know, ruffle some feathers or or see it through the prism of your history mm. uh, and usually a curiosity. That's uh, the part. Uh, yeah. Of what this thing is. I'd rather not do that. So uh, well, let's, just take, like let's, just, let's just take that. You feel like a tool. Yeah. Like and let's just take that. Let's take that off the, upon us. Let's take that off the table. And how about we just deal with him as, as a man? As you would write any other way, and I'll, I'll I'll infuse the blackness. Let me let me handle that. You just write the words. I'm right. The black the blackness is gonna come because it's here. It don't go because <laughs> it is what it so. is. It is what it is. Exactly. It's gonna be there. Like I'm is. just I'm not Steve, so it's gonna be a contrast. Like <laughs> That's right. you're, it's right. I'm, here. I'm Omar. Let me be Omar. <laughs> I'll bring Omar. I'll bring Luther. I'll do that. So what do you? Because the interracial thing is is really interesting to me because I do feel like a lot of times I feel like they are using black men at this point to tell this this story of like it, I I rarely see black men and black women as couples like I want to see on television. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. You know, as as we are, you know, I'm on Insecure and uh, we are in a unique kind of hubble in that space, like yeah. because that is actually something very conscious. But I just see so often these days where it's like. Black men are positioned with white women, whether it's in print, whether it's on TV shows and film. And it just, it does feel like I'm watching them use y'all as pawns. Like, I just feel like there was such a conversation about like, we don't want black men in dresses because they're trying to emasculate us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now I feel like there's a, a, a sway in a different direction. So it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, you had to be very adamant about like, I'm not going to be a part of that narrative. And intentional. Um, and Did you get pushback? Not usually, not from the producers or writers. Not not usually at that point in my career because you know then it's about a conversation. Let's just talk about what this character is. Let's understand how are we going to build this character. They're all all of these we're talking about all series except for Julia. Uh, when Julia do you Roberts. feel like you? Have, when do you feel like? At what point in your career did you feel like now? I now I can do this now. Now I can be having these conversations. 
you know, I kind of started with that. I mean, really, the first one of my first jobs was one life, to, one life to live. I was just in the game, and I remember being inspired by an interview I saw Denzel Washington do, and he said, "You always, no matter what part of your career you're in, you always have the option to say no." I never forgot that. Always. So I think I started being inspired by him saying that. So I, I was going to no. say. Nobody's got a gun to your head. Because the way no. you said it was like, once I was popping, I could say that. Yeah, but I'm yeah. like, nah, nah, like nah, nah. I should say it was easier. It gets, it, gets, it gets easier. That conversation gets easier. But you know, it's interesting, that whole interracial thing. I don't even get that much that, in, that much anymore. But now it's all about, I always explain the bad guy. But people know what they know. They see what they see. Uh, at the beginning, as I said, with L.A. Law, with I didn't say name like Uhura. How do you say Uhura? Yeah, mm-hmm. Star Trek. You know, it was it was noteworthy. You're breaking barriers. You know, we did it that on LA Law is breaking barriers. I like breaking barriers. I like doing the unexpected. So then it was interesting. But then when you know those those jobs kept coming, you know, I'd always find something interesting to do it. But the fact that you're dealing with an interracial relationship, that's not interesting anymore. You know, if it's just people falling in love, cool. I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's more interesting to me. So the, you know, I don't I like people. Like we don't see enough black love. And movies and television. No. Uh, I want to see more of this. Why well, I loved, I love the opportunity to work with uh, Octavia Spencer and uh, uh, self-made Madam C.J. Walker story. To, to love uh, her, you know, they ran into their problems. You saw the movie. You know, they had issues, obviously. You know, they're running astray, but it started with a very love, very strong love, which was important to me because we, you know, we have we have our historical documents with Madam C.J. Walker and C.J. Walker. But from all accounts, he did love her. He ended up being a womanizer, ended up being an alcoholic and everything else. But the foundation of them came together because they got together before she became, before she was baller. You know, they right. came together as a team and he brought something to that to that, that, um, that dynamic. But for me as an actor, to tell this story in a filmic sense, Madam C.J. Walker, I very much love the, the idea of being able to work with my friend Octavia, but also love her and, and everything Octavia presents and represents. Now, it's no secret that you are, you're a fine black man. Like that's a thing that I know that. And, and let me. The reason why I have to say that just that plain is because we're in a business where you do need to know like the, certain things about how people view you in order to even navigate. And, and navigate. sometimes we. That's right. Yes, and like sometimes like. On the outside, it would be like, oh, like if you're saying that about yourself, you're conceited. And it's just like, no, like I'm in a business that is so much about appearance that I have to know how people are viewing me even to know if I want to continue to be viewed that way. So like, for instance, like I very easily could fall into the like long haired, light skinned black chick, right? Like that stereotype. I'm making air quotes for folks who are just listening, right? So if I was pressing my hair straight and I was dressing a certain way and taking a certain certain roles all the time, like I could just be that. Like Tiffany on Insecure, I could just be uh, that archetype very right. easily. And but I know that like I have a certain look to me. So if I want to diversify the roles I'm playing or be taken seriously, like it means something to me that you listed me being pretty as like the last thing because that's really the last thing on my list of things that I consider to be assets like I did a I did a red carpet one time and the woman was like okay so like what is your favorite part of your body and I know she thought I was gonna say something like you know I think I got a cute booty you know or like (laughs) my elbows is crazy and I said "Um, my brain (laughs) that's right and she was like oh 
Like that, she hadn't considered, you know, because she was looking at it superficially. And I was like, you know, but that fits, right? It's a body part. She was like, no, absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, And so I just wondered, like, was there any point where, well, first, let me ask you this. When you got into the game, did you consider like, okay, I'm a fine black man going into this game? Did you look at that as like an asset in terms of your tools? No, but so insightful you're right you have you you must be aware of how people see you so that you do not allow them to define you because they will confine you you have to be aware i heard jeremy iron say something that that i loved uh and he said i and i and i agree with he said basically i'm paraphrasing but he said hollywood in this business will see me as a leading man a romantic leading man but how he all how he always saw himself and how I always saw myself was a character actor that looks like a leading man. So if you see me as that, a leading man, that's fine. And I love playing those roles, whether it's set it off or even, even Madam CJ Walker, you know, to play that romantic lead. Yeah. I'm good with that. So that opens up a lot of doors too. But artistically, what I get excited about are all those colors in between the, the character parts uh, I love, I love, I love when I, you know, like I get to, you know, gray hair or no hair or bad teeth, whatever else, but to play characters, that's much more interesting to me. So that's why these, these characters, whether they're so-called good guys or bad guys or lovers or fathers or what, whatever they may be, it's, it's, it's really the, the, the faults in those characters that are the most interesting to me or the things that are not considered to be handsome or good looking, um, that's that's that those are much more interesting to me to play and explore do, but do you feel like hollywood has given you do you feel like hollywood looks at you for that like will they give you that see what you said it's not about what they give you got to take it so their roles that i've written or i've created ah. or, I'll, or i'll do it or i'll do in the theater or i'll do in the theater that most people don't see even on broadway uh, you know, the amount of people that saw the last run of the soldiers play that we did uh, pales in comparison to one show, the, the worst rated show I ever did on, on TV. <laughs> just just the, the sheer number, the quantity right. of people that, that see it. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, so I, I get my creative fix usually when I go back to the theater because I'm challenged much more in the theater. What is it about, um, do, well, do you feel like as a black actor, across the spaces of film, television, and theater. Can you just speak to the uniqueness of those spaces as a black man, as a black actor, like a black man actor, or if there's any nuances? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest nuance is what I, what I just alluded to, the fact right. that you can get away with more and you're asked, there's, there's more that is asked of you in the theater. But uh, why? Well, well, because I think it's it's a it's a very specific thing in terms of, the size of the audience you're reaching and it's limited, it's limited scope in the minds of people making the decision of what people would accept for years, for years, people would say to us as black actors, we can't, we can't cast you in this movie because it won't sell overseas. And if we cast you in this movie, we can't pay you the amount of money we'll pay the white boys because it won't sell overseas. So you're not as much value to us to pay you that kind of money because they're not going to watch that in London and England and Scandinavia and Scandinavia. All that's BS. Black Panther blew that out of the water. That's all. That's that's always been BS, actually. 
I mean, listen, black actors and performers and entertainers have left America, whether it's uh, Josephine Baker or Paul Robeson, for, for years because we're more accepted internationally than in this country. So when you tell me folks are not going to watch black actors overseas because you tell me as the gatekeepers, it's BS. It's always been BS. So, but to your question, what they looked at is, is the broad scope of the amount of audience members that we're trying to sell to. So it's, it's a false narrative. And that's why I love, that's when Black Bear blew up the way it did. Um, Cause you know, like they checked all the boxes, you know, before they got, got to race, they were dealing with a, a superhero that sells action that sells. Now what's the mythology of this new world we're dealing with? Oh, it's Africa. Oh, it's black, black and brown people. Oh, it's black Panther. So you layer all that in there. People show up. They're not going to turn away just because we're black. In fact, they'll run to us because we're black. Absolutely. But you feel like the theater space, so because, the theater they space know, because they're not trying to appeal to middle America or to... Or the world. The world. Or the world. Yeah, it's just 1,000 people in that theater that night. Or our last episode, 720 to be, Do you think there's something to be said also just for the fact that it's like it's a fine art? You know, it's it's less pop culture and it's more like we're just we're trying to get this art out. It's thespians. Yeah, but in terms of in terms of uh, casting black actors, especially in what they call color black cast, I never like that term, but I get what they're going on with that. You know, just the, the casting of yeah. it doesn't matter. Let's just let's cast a good actor. Um, there's a lot to be said for that in the theater, right. and and you know, there's ticket sales, but they don't have to worry about they don't have to worry about reaching as many people as you do in television really television now more than movies and television. So I think that's the, that's the biggest nuance. Um, because of that nuance, in terms of black actors, those opportunities are limited when you start dealing with the larger audience that you're appealing to. But all that's changing. All of that's changing now. Netflix is changing that too. This with all the, you know, that they flip the switch on and they launch a TV show or, or a movie. That's worldwide in an instant. Yeah. You know, and that, that changes the, the playing field. It's worldwide and people are responding because they want to see it. So over the course of, you know, your your career, like, is it safe to say that you feel like things have gotten easier for black men as actors? Oh, no. Well, no, I wouldn't say easier. I'd say there's more opportunity. The challenging part, the side effect is that side effect. The side effect <laughs> to that is more, <laughs> more quantity, but it's harder to break through because that quantity can be translated to clutter. There's so much out there. And when you there. say breakthrough, you mean be a star. Yeah, to make a name for yourself, a brand. Because right, it's one thing to get your check. That's right. It's another thing to be a leading man. That's right. A manager said to me about uh, 15 years ago, he said, you're fortunate because you came along in the 80s and 90s. Your generation is the last generation. I never thought about this at the time, but your generation is the last generation. You could be on a hit show, and most people in America know your name, your face and your name. That's attributed to a couple of things. Number one, that was a time which you rarely see now. You go back to those TV shows in the 70s and the 80s. When a show came on, the opening credits, you see that person's face and their name. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Star Trek. Come on. Star- yes. You see their face and name. So you yes. know, okay, that actor's name is this. Nowadays, 
They don't even do opening credits. Most most they don't shows. even do. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you don't know who was that actor. So you can be on this. You can be on the hottest show on television, and you may not even know. Most people in America may not even know this person's name, other than they oh, delete one that they. Yeah, you I that, saw you um, on Scandal. I love you on Scandal. I mean, listen, we know Kerry Washington. Think of Scandal as examples. How many people know the other actors on that show? Their names. They love their work. They watch the show, but their names. If you can't build a name, you can't build. You can't build a brand. It's what you're brilliant at. It's what you're brilliant at. That's why I'm so glad when you came on The Real. Okay, that's another platform. You can leverage that to the next platform. This podcast, you can leverage that to the next platform. And you're building a name. You're building a brand. It's harder to do now to it do is. that. Whether it's for actors, but you guys are black actors. It's harder for us as black actors. It's why we got to be more creative and find those different hustles and different, different opportunities that you create. Like you're sitting at home right now creating your podcast. You got your producers on the other side, but, but I'm saying, but but I'm have, saying. No, but you know, but we, we've been but able to crazy. sustain for two and a half years. I mean, to me, it's, it's funny you were saying that because people, people I know, like people that know me did not realize I was Tiffany until like three other, epi- three episodes on Insecure. Like they had literally watched me now, why in the role. That know you. I'm like, but you know me. They're like, man, you was just acting. Like yeah, I've well, had more than a few people. And I'm like, I mean, I, thank you. But also like, That's a damn, but it speaks, but it speaks to what you're saying, how it's like, you end up just watching now and there, it actually concerns me though, because it makes it to where folks get so involved in TV now that like, they really have forgotten that it's not real. You know, <laughs> like wow. I have people send me dissertation DMs about my character on on the real, I mean, real? on Insecure. On Insecure. As if I'm the character. For real. What? Wow, that's, that's scary. There's people that are like, I don't like Amanda Seals because she's just like her character. And I'm like. You don't know that. I can't tell yep. you every how often I hear. Well, I don't like him because I saw him in a <laughs> in Medea's family reunion, and I was like, "You're an adult, right? <laughs> you do know that's make believe. You don't know. You don't know anything about me. But you saw. How about how about why not go to that first thing? Like maybe you did a great job playing Making that character. Making me believe, about, right? Like you were that? so convincing. That but I you go straight to, I, I don't like you because you play that abusive husband. It's make-believe. It's You're acting. an adult. You should know that. It's acting. It's acting. But How no, much make-believe have you had to employ, though? Because you said something just now about, like, because we were talking about, like, oh, I don't like you. I don't like you. Um, and within this business, you know, I, a lot of people don't understand. I mean, and this is the case with any corporate space. Um it's not about them liking what you do on camera alone. Like they got to like, like you off camera and feel safe, et cetera. And I just feel like as a brother, there's a different dynamic that is in place in terms of having to, you know, make folks feel comfortable. Mm. And Mm. did you ever feel that? Like, did you ever catch yourself having to Oh yeah, yeah. Because whenever I stepped out of that, I'm I'm aware of it. And that comes from my childhood growing up with my father being a military man. That sense of responsibility, that awareness of the people you impact by your actions. So I knew that then, when the Rodney King uh, uprising happened, when his beating went down in '93, 1993, and there were all the uprisings yeah. slash riots uh, in LA and other places. 
uh, I was very vocal about what happened to Rodney King. I remember doing an interview on CNN at that time. And, and um, you know, people, some people in my camp saying, you know, you be careful about that. You may not want to do that. You know, it might, it might affect your career. Um, mm. And I just, I just, I just didn't, I wasn't trying to hear that. At the time. There are times when you have to speak up. There are times when you, you need to have your voice be heard. And there are times when you're in a position where people will listen more than maybe somebody else because you're in that position. So you use that voice. So uh, that was the first time where I felt like I was breaking out of, you know, what Hollywood or your publicist, or your agent, maybe felt was safe for you to build a career. Um, and again, you know, the world we're living now, you know, I'm watching, are you, I'm watching The Last Dance. You're watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan? I got to watch it. I haven't gotten there. I, no, I'm at this point where I got to binge things. Like when, I, do, when right, they're doing right. it every week, I'm like, I can't, it, it's, I, I can't, no, I get, I can't get control that. our lives right now. I need to at least feel like I can control how I watch this show. <laughs> we got so, time on our hands. Let me just binge. <laughs> but, you know, I think about Michael Jordan at the time. You know, Michael Jordan is known for not being critical, making a yeah. point not to speak out. I mean, that's caught a lot of flack over the years. I look at this changing times. I look at LeBron James now who's not afraid to speak out and doesn't affect his career. So we're living in different times. Now and, uh, but I definitely, to answer your question, I remember that time of being in a cocoon and being more aware of, uh, from the, from this, you know, from the Sydney Portier uh, era, mm. you know. Uh, so what would that look like? Was that you being conscious of like, okay, when I'm coming into this meeting, I got to carry myself a certain way. I got to dress a certain way. Was it, was it, is that astute? Because, I know as a black woman, we are so immediately targeted as like angry black woman that I have to be like yeah. super conscious. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, no. I guess the, the awareness was, you know, um, you know, that code switching we do, you know, know how to speak the King's English. You know, it's not yeah. being fake. It's not being fake. It's like, to me, it's always been like bilingual or trilingual know how to speak the king's english if you come in if i come in speaking like i can talk to my boys you may not understand or or be able to relate to what i'm saying or how i'm saying it or it might scare you it may intimidate you so i'm like i'm not trying to if i'm trying to get a job i'm not trying to intimidate you so for me it was always it, it was about that journey for me was learning that that middle ground where you stay authentic to yourself be yourself but still be able to relate. And that, and, and I'm grateful for that. My childhood, again, growing up, we moved because mm. of the military. We moved every two years. So I was always in and out of black and white communities. My junior high school, my junior high school, seventh, eighth grade, Warren, Michigan, all white school for two years. I was the only black kid for one year, first year of the Cheryl Washington. My high, my high school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. But you grade. know her name. He said Cheryl Washington. Because you, you know the only, only other black person there. He was the only one. You ever say, you're Cheryl Dayton? Oh, because we're the only two black folks up in the school. We dating. Oh, but I did, have, I did have a crush on her, though. I'm just saying. Cheryl! <laughs> Cheryl Washington. I don't even know what happened to Cheryl Washington. But, uh, but then after that, my high school, Peters, we moved to Petersburg, Virginia. Uh, I was 98% black. You know, and before, by the way, before Michigan, it was Alexander, Virginia. It was like half black, half white. So, you know, so, you know, I... Thankfully for that, you know, my life was kind of navigating inside of both worlds, black, white. And it was really black, white. It was really when it was a Latin dynamic or Asian dynamic mm-hmm. in my life growing up. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But I was but I was hyper aware of how to present myself um, to, to get the to get to get the most out of it. You know, I'm not trying right. to I'm not, I'm not trying to hamper myself. Uh, 
it's so funny. I just watched a video this morning. What's this young lady named Danny, I think, who was on uh, America's Top Model? Tyra Banks apparently said some stuff about her gap, the gap in her teeth. Yep. Uh, you you hear for that? Yeah. And I was watching her response this morning about that video. Because it, I mean, it's what happened eight, nine years ago, five, yeah. whatever. But she was making the point. She was come out of whatever, whatever her, her town was. She wanted to come out of her town and still be real and still be raw and still do the things she had to do. But here Tyra Banks was telling her, you know, I fix that gap in your teeth. She's like, I don't want to do it. She eventually fixed it a little bit. There's still a gap. So she can stay a little bit authentic to herself. But it's about finding, okay. you know, cost-benefit analysis, pros and cons. Mm. I can say I don't fix my big gap at all. And maybe Tyra, because she does have experience, was right. Maybe people, people are not going to hire me for that. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, but if I if I have to say things so you understand and respect where I'm coming from in a certain way, you know, if that's going to help me get this job and if I have more of a profile because I get this job, then I can be more of uh, more good. And the things right. I say and do and the other jobs I can create because I want to create it. You know, not because you're giving me a job. I can do it the way in which I want to do it. Have you noticed a difference in how you, not even just how you, like, what do you feel like is a, you've been on black sets. We've all been. <laughs> can I tell you this last, the self-made, woo, Madam C.J. Walker between Octavia Spencer, Tiffany Haddish, Tiff. Bill Bellamy, oh my God, Bill Bellamy and Garrett Morris. I, that smile you got on your face, that's how I looked every day. <laughs> we, I, I, I never, I don't think I ever laughed that hard, honestly. That's a lot Maybe. of la- That's, I mean, the joke game oh there. That's God. heavy oh jokes. Oh, my God. I mean, all these, these are professional comics and great actors. But that whole comedic thing is a whole other thing. Because it don't let me, stop. Let me, it don't stop. So let me just get my popcorn and go to work. What? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you about that. No, because, because I'm glad you interrupted me because I think a lot of folks um, would love to hear just about the uniqueness of, of being on a black set. And, you know, uh, and there's something to note in that a lot of us are only just now kind of getting those opportunities to be on a black set. You were in a soldier story, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, like that was a black, like, Oh yeah! Set. Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! <laughs> Can you tell me about that experience? Oh man! Well, everyone is different, but just every set is different. But but the broad strokes of it all. Listen, man, it's well, I mean, first is specifically the soldier story set. Like oh yeah, what soldier, soldier play? Yeah yeah yes. Woo! I think a lot of times we feel like there's a larger mission. I feel like that's the theme for the state's conversation, but there really is that. Yeah. Um. Madam C.J. Walker to tell her story finally. But even just for us as black folks to come together and work together, we get to speak. Mm-hmm. We get right. to have our voices heard and do it on a gold microphone like that or a lens. We know it's not just us. It's we know right now, right now, we're talking, having this conversation. It's not just you and I talking. This conversation will be broadcast and go out to the world. Yep. So there's that sense when you're on a set, especially a black set, that we get to do this. Mm-hmm. And whatever this, the, the specific story is, that's incredible. But the fact that we get to do it and have our voice heard mm. and see our, have ourselves be seen the way we want to be seen because we're right. writing it. We're directing it. I can't imagine what a secure set is like. So that, but you answer your question about a soldier's play, we thought that same thing because there's a sense of purpose. You know, soldier's play was initially done in New York in the 80s, starring Denzel Washington, Sam Jackson, Jim Pickett from uh, Grey's Anatomy, and so many, and so many, Brent Jen, so many others. So 
after 35, almost 40 years, it had never been on Broadway. It was, it was at, at the Negro Ensemble Company, NEC, in New York, uh, mm-hmm. which was an off-Broadway house. This was a Broadway house. So we, it had never happened before. So we knew that was a first. That was a story. Uh, the fact that it's a story of there are 11 cast members, nine brothers. I'm saying it's, it's our story. Uh, so there's an excitement and a, and a depth and a sense of pride um, and energy and electricity um, and humility that we get to tell the story. Um, so anyway, that's uh, by and large, it's family coming together. Unless somebody's showing out for some reason, that way once while that happens, which is rare, never happens to this plan. Actually, I haven't seen a lot of that at all, but yeah, it happens. It happens, you know, but, of course. but, it, but it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. But there's usually an undercurrent and a, and a sense of, of unity and solidarity and, and still 2020 excitement that we get to be heard and show ourselves. So let's show up and show out. I love hearing you speak like this because I don't, I think even a lot of brothers who think this may, are afraid to say it, right? Because they're, they don't want to be, I'm not going to go as far as say blackballed, but they don't want to feel like, you know, they have this um, this mark on them that says, oh, they're trouble or they're outspoken or they're, you know, radical or they're rebellious. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I can't even shade because, again, we have brothers that are getting murdered in the street by, you know, vigilantes uh, because there's just still this thought process that, you know, black men danger. Right. Like that juxtaposition is yeah. still a short bridge to cross. But when I hear you talk like this, it um, it's very encouraging to me. But as a black woman in Hollywood, I think, and I'm speaking for myself, but I know, I know a lot of my peers like feel like there isn't a bridge between like black men in Hollywood and their experience and black women in Hollywood and our experience. And like, really tell me, I don't know how much time we yeah. got in the podcast, but I'm, I'm curious. Why, why, why do you think that is? Because a lot of times it just feels like it's like every man for themselves. And, you know, like I know so many women that when they heard that Denzel had demanded that he have a black wife, like in a film, that it was like, what? You know, because I let's keep it a buck. Like there's a lot of brothers who feel like having a white woman in real life or having a white woman on screen is an accomplishment, like, because you're doing something that was taboo or was even illegal at one point. So it's like, I'm bucking the system just by bucking this broad, like by bucking (laughs) Becky. By bucking Becky. So, you know, there's so many layers to that. But then a lot of times I feel like a lot of black women feel like we're left out of the conversation on pushing the black voice forward because we're not necessarily being thought about by black men as a part of an integral part of the black voice moving forward. And I know that that's beyond Hollywood. Um, But when you talk about the stuff that you write and the stuff that you're interested in writing, I would love to hear just like, what are the stories that you, that excite you to write, that excite you to produce and how do black women factor into those? The Untold Stories, you know, I, I have a, um, a book imprint right now called Blair Underwood Presents. I think we talked about this on, on The Real. One of them is that story. Well, let's talk about like, it again, because I wanted to talk uh, about it more on The Real, <laughs> but they don't want to be talking about books like that. So, yeah, Right, I get it. And we don't have to spend much time on it now, but it's just a story about 
17 black athletes that went to the 1936 Nazi Olympics, along with uh, along with Jesse Owens, who won four gold medals. Um, so th- those are stories. And, and of those 17, 18, including Jesse Owens, there were two women, the first black women on an Olympic team, Tidy Pickett and Louise Stokes. You know, those stories need to be told. Um, mm-hmm. The Let Us Snow. Um, Deborah Riley Draper, who wrote, directed, and produced Olympic Pride, American Prejudice, is a book we're talking about. Uh, which was based on her documentary, same title, Living Pride, American Prejudice. She came to even learn about these these athletes because she was doing a story on Valletta Snow. Valletta Snow was a jazz musician uh, in America, had to go to Europe to get have a career. And because that was the, um, you know, degenerate music, you know, that's what the Nazis were saying and Hitler was saying at that time. She was in prison and was put into a concentration camp. It's Valletta Snow. So incredible. Google her. So Deborah was doing research. Valletta Snow, Google Valletta Snow, y'all. Oh, oh my God, the name right, Valletta, <laughs> Valletta Snow. So she was doing research on her, and Valletta Snow had made a comment. She said, "I wish I had gone back to America with those other seventeen athletes." Deborah was like, "What? What? What?" During the nineteen thirty six Olympics. So then she kind of just hopscotched over her and went and, and told that story. But Valletta Snow is a story I would love to tell. I'd love to tell her story. Uh, but there are millions of stories that haven't been told in terms of our history uh, that that excite me. But but it's, but I'm fascinated by what you're saying just about the whole black woman, black man thing in Hollywood. Um, and I can definitely relate as black actors in a position sometimes to have the right actors. You know, I did a show called uh, Ironside. Mm-hmm. Uh, my character was a detective in New York because inspired by and based on a series from the 70s starring Raymond Burr. And was, he's in a wheelchair and he's a detective. And uh, I was adamant because I, I was the lead in the show and it came out of a, a deal I had with NBC. And so it was, it was through, I, had a, I had a chance and opportunity to speak up. Okay. And and we had a scene where we had, well, a couple scenes, the character who was my wait, just, wife. Wait, I just want to, yeah. I just want to, because I let people in here like to hear inside baseball. So when you said you had a deal at NBC and so you had a chance to speak up, I just want you to clear, to like expound upon what that actually means. Because you chose to spoke up earlier when you were younger but this is a different situation because of your your contract allowed you to have more creative input. Exactly. Exactly. Back up a little bit further. So when I did a streetcar named Desire on Broadway with Nicole yes. Parker, um, my first Broadway debut, the head of NBC, Bob Greenblatt, came to see a streetcar named Desire. Came backstage and said, I want to create something for you. So that mm-hmm. next week, my manager and I sat down with him. And out of that conversation came a deal with NBC, a production deal, whereby they would present things to me, and I would, if I got excited, we'd do it. I'd present things to, things to them that I wanted to produce. So everything I, br- I brought to them, they said no, <laughs> which is cool. It happened. Um, but I think I had a month left. It was like a one-year deal. I had a month left on this production deal with NBC. And they said, listen, we own um, Streetcar. We own Ironside. Ironside. We're thinking about doing this as a series. Uh, if you say yes, we'll do it. I was like, yeah, because I wanted, to, I wanted, I wanted, I didn't want that deal to just pass and have nothing come of it. I wanted yeah. to have some fruit from that labor, just to have something, a result of that. I said, well, yeah, let's let's do it. I knew it was a risk, kind of playing a disabled character. My mother's been in a wheelchair for 25 years. I wanted to do it out of respect for her and homage to her and everything else. Um, so anyway, that's how that came to be. Mm-hmm. So we're doing Ironside, and in the script, I have a wife's character. And I said, this is what's important to me. I talked to all the other producers. I need that character. It's a tricky thing. I'm just saying this now because discrimination laws 
right now. But I said, let me just say this. I, if it, let me make it easy for you, make it safe for you. That's what I said to the producers. If it's between equitable actresses that are well, all great actresses, I would prefer a dark-skinned actress. She said, why do you say that? I said, look, I'm a black man that came from a black, a dark-skinned black woman. We right. come in all shades and colors. I'm married to a light-skinned woman. We come in all shades. So it's no shade, it's no shade on that. Come on now. Right. On that. But here's the deal. Though we come in all shades, Hollywood promotes light-skinned black women more often than dark-skinned black women. My yeah. sister is dark-skinned. So the, I want to promote that level of beauty when I can. So they did. And I'm kidding. I'm kids. Kill me next. I forgot the actress' name. She was on The Rookie the first season, this this new rookie. Um, but anyway, she was very funny also. Great actress. Look her up. Um, and it was very interesting because we had one love scene. And I'll never forget this. And I, I just feel very protective of, of actresses whenever we have love scenes. I always say, is there anything you're not comfortable with? Like anything you don't mm-hmm. want to Someone will say, that's what you want. Someone will say, no. If, if, if the camera I'm like, it's you. They like, no, no, do what hey, you need listen, to do, bro. I, I I'm here. Have. I'm a vessel. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a vessel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but, but um, she was a little, a little nervous. And I said, what are, you know, what happened? The set's going to be, you know, nobody's going to be here. It's going to be a safe set, whatever else. And I said, is there anything I can do to make it easier, easy? And she said, nah, it's just, and she was great. But she said, what you got to understand is you've been doing love scenes your whole career. I'm a brown skin sister. We don't do these. This is new to me. And uh, I knew that, but to hear her articulate that and say, to say that, says, you know, we got we to gotta, we gotta be aware of that. Not afraid to speak yeah. to that in those rooms when you can speak to that, um, to elevate that level of, of you that different shade, and, and, that different hue. And that consciousness is something that I think a lot of folks, they just don't have, you know, they don't even, they're like, no, it's black, it's black, it's black, it's black. And it's like, well, no. Um, there's certain shows that I know the literal timber and response to the show and the cadence of the show would shift if it was the same exact show, but all light-skinned black people or the same exact show mm. and all dark-skinned black people. Because mm. the experience, you know, in America can be different and the colorism of it all and yeah. just the conversations, you know, they are nuanced. And the you know, nuanced. That's right. And I think that's the that's the thing that I'm I am really happy to see in terms of just to your point, like the expanse of content. I feel I feel like we're getting to see more nuanced representations of brothers because yeah. and not just on like a skin tone a skin tone, but even like in tone. Like Atlanta mm. is just a different type of comedic tone. Right. You know, that we just haven't gotten to see. Like from black men, like I feel like black men comedy has been so specified as like, you know, one type of of cadence. And so we're we're getting to see that shift mm, and right. and have a little bit more uniqueness to it. Um, you know, just it's it, it's interesting just hearing hearing you talk and we're going to wrap soon. It's, it's interesting hearing you speak because. You speak with a a groundedness and clarity about all of this. And I, I just wonder, like, do you feel like you always had that or was there a turning point for you? I think it was always there just because of where I came from. 
was right. it was magnified when I did have a chance to to meet with people that I respect and have conversations with people like Sidney Poitier and James O. Jones and Cicely Tyson. Again, being a, a, a student of history, I I, lo- I I love those conversations. I live for those conversations just to learn from them, you know, to hear from them. And I, and I, I cherish those those moments I've had with them to pick their brain and get those pearls of wisdom. But with all of those, especially that generation that came up, they broke those barriers for Harry Belafonte and other broke those barriers mm. for us. You know, we, we stand on their shoulders. We have we have responsibility to be aware. If nothing else, how that manifests itself is going to be different than all of us. But at least be aware. And I, I think, you know, I, I think more people feel the way I do than, than people realize. I, I don't know if people feel as though they have the opportunity or the power to say it. Um, because sometimes too often there's concern about what will affect their career adversely. So I don't, I don't think so much that it's not there. It's just like, wait a minute, just, you know, release, release it, let it go, speak up. It's okay. You know, I'm telling you, I, every point of elevation in my career has been marked by me giving less fucks. Mm, mm. Well, there you go. That's a testimony. <laughs> Every time I'm like, I want, that, know, I want that on a sign. <laughs> let's, let's, let's shave off some more fucks. I and I don't know. I don't know if I'm just lucky. I don't know if that's just no. um really just. Oh, oh my battery. I don't know low. if that's just like uh, you said. Your battery's going. It's getting low. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then I'll I'll speak to that later. Um, Well, no, because I think authenticity ends up reigning supreme and you get such a freedom when you live in your authenticity. And then it it shines through so much of your work. And so much of us are so afraid to let people see that in terms and thinking that if they see it, it's going to fuck shit up, but it ends up actually freeing them. And a lot of times you're going to get backlash, but what you learn about Hollywood and whoever's listening, just know this. You don't need everybody to rock with you. You just need a couple of the right folks. That's right. Just a few. Who would you say is the most beloved athlete in the world, historically? Maybe not even alive right now. Not alive right now. Historically. Um, Beloved? Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali? There you go. This man stood up, spoke his truth. Went to jail. Spoke truth to power. Went to jail for it. Lost his belt for it. His heavyweight belt for it. And earned it back. He's beloved because he stood up. And he spoke up. And he could back up his work in the ring. You better be preaching right now. Come he on stood now. I'm just... And then he spoke up. <laughs> and then he backed up. The last dose. Thank you for joining us in the dark oh. park with Rocky and <laughs> that's right. Just all <laughs> of the good shit. And you know, I um and and when when we do smart funny and black again, and it you know, well at some point I'm gonna hit you up because you know we're doing an actual smart funny and black in the crib show, so we're doing it online next Friday. No, this Friday, this Friday. Um, and if all goes well, I will continue doing them, and I'll be hitting you up to be For one what? of our black spurts. No, 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 no. Well, listen, listen, listen. What you all do? That what no, we no, no. About There's that, no you all. There's no you all. What you mean? There's no you all. I got to explain to you what the show is so you can understand what okay. it is. You already saying no. He no, I'm not saying no. I'm, I'm just saying being funny the way y'all do it is a whole, that's a skill set. But it's not, 
the show is not about, I'm funny. Yes, you are. I don't need y'all to be funny. I write it so that no matter what is funny, I cradle you like an African mother. Come on, sister. Come on, man. (laughs) Dark phrases of womanhood of never having been a girl. Um, So I'm I'm, going to bring you there. For those of y'all are listening, please. I will always Thank keep an open you. mind. Listen, Scarface was like, I ain't doing that shit. By the time I was done with him, he was like, when we doing it? That's so, right. <laughs> All right, cool. I got face mobbed. I was like, if I could get face mobbed to flip, I know I can get anybody that's right. to be convinced. Um, <laughs> so people check out Madam CJ Walker. Uh, what's after the colon? Um, <laughs> that is you. What is, You're wait, talking- what's the full title of the, of the, of the show? Oh, self, self-made. Self-made, yes. Self-made, yep. the Madam T.J. Walker story on yep. Netflix. And also just, just go through just go through Mr. Underwood's catalog. You know, he, he has quite a number of IMDb credits. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we thank you for your work and your dedication. And honestly, it's been dope in this conversation to just hear how much integrity is behind the choices you make and be able to mm. see it in the work you do. Because a lot of folks think that things just land in people's laps and that these paths just happen. And it's, no, you're curating it. You're curating it from a place of purpose and creating a space to have your own identity. You better preach. You better preach. Come on now. Come on. You're on step. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. A podcast network.